Welcome to the Shape and Sound Podcast, Volume 7. This is Patrick Booth. I am the sound side of things. And with me today, we have Ben Polowski, and I am the shape side of things. We have gathered once again to try to uh, answer questions about creativity, both questions that we get from our listeners and questions we still have ourselves. Uh, our usual disclaimer is we try to give advice, we try to give answers from our perspective, but as things often are in the world of arts and creativity, there isn't usually just one answer. So hear us out, maybe we can help you out, but we don't claim to have <laughs> the answers to much of everything. Uh, what episode did you, did you say this was? What are we up to now? Seven. Seven. All right. Um, and this is uh, for our listeners out there. This is the first time that we are recording Patrick and I uh, with each other in the same physical space. Every other episode we've done just from a distance in dealing with the pandemic and everything. So it's it's good to be uh, sharing the same oxygen, I yeah. guess, uh, while we try to do today's episode. Um, let's let's start off the way we often have. Um, so Patrick, what are what sort of media are you putting into your brain these days? What are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you reading? Uh, right now, I'm listening to uh, music by the composer Arvo Pert, who's an Estonian composer that I'm um, very influenced by as of late. He writes really incredible uh, contemporary classical music using ancient Gregorian chant methods of composing with modern harmony. So it's a really beautiful, very haunting uh, quality to his music that I really enjoy. And it's simple in nature, but there's a lot that you can glean from it. So that's what I've been listening to of recent. And the book that I'm reading right now is called Shiner by Amy Jo Burns. And it is a very, very incredible fiction book that's part of the Snowbound Books Book of the Month Club here in Marquette. So Marquette has a great bookstore called Snowbound Books, and they've been doing uh, Book of the Month Club these last several months. And this one is no exception. It's an, an incredible book about a young girl whose father is a uh, preacher and serpent tamer. So he uses snakes in his sermons and speaks in tongues and she's wrestling with the idea that he might be a snake oil salesman more than a man of god and it's set in the rural hills of west virginia so it's a very fascinating book about a, a lifestyle that i know nothing about so i'm i'm learning a lot but it's also a very very touching story is it based on real accounts or it's not okay it's, uh no it's so very uh, at least I hope not. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. What about uh, you? Uh, let me think. I'm reading a little bit. I'm kind of like I often am. I'm, I'm kind of between a few different books, but one thing I've been looking at recently is a book called You Are an Artist. Uh, it's by the same group of people that put together the, oh, what is it? The, what is the, the art assignment uh, YouTube channel. And the book is just kind of filled with, um, sort of ideas for art projects. It's kind of like if you're looking for something yourself to do and you're just kind of looking for a place to start, or in the case of me, I'm just kind of always looking for different ideas of things to do with students. It does a great job of kind of connecting a challenge, a question, a problem with work that an artist is already doing. So it looks at this artist that is um, maybe a super expert on a topic 
and it gives you kind of uh, uh, an assignment that you can kind of step in the front door of what they're doing. So like one one assignment that I don't know always sticks out to me is just it, there's this sound artist that and I'm, I'm, I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but uh, plays around with the idea of silence is a you know a club DJ and will sometimes just stop the music for long enough till they feel like everybody has really like acknowledged that the music has stopped and like really paid attention to that. Um, and the, the little ass assignment that goes along with it is to simply take a walk and follow where it seems the quietest and try to find the quietest spot in your neighborhood. And I just think that's such like an interesting way to kind of experience your area in a new way. And I, I love that kind of thing. Um, listening, you know, listening to the same stuff, I guess I'm always listening to uh, watching just, I tried watching it a while ago and it just didn't click for me for whatever reason, but we just started rewatching that show Barry on HBO with Bill Hader. I don't know, for whatever reason, the first time we tried watching it, um, we got a few episodes in and just got distracted probably with a pandemic or whatever else. And now I'm like, why did I ever stop watching this show? This is fantastic. Uh, so that's 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 what I'm doing. The character Hank on that show is uh, really incredible. Okay, okay, um, we're only three episodes in, so I've, I'm not sure if I've met Hank The yet. bald guy. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Good, yeah. good stuff, good Excellent. stuff. All right, so um, we we don't have a million questions from our listeners out there, but that's okay. I think the ones that we do have are pretty big ones, um, are pretty bold, and we will do our best to, to discuss them. Uh, do you have it written down there? I do. So the first question is actually an old question that we said we were going to go back to, and then we never <laughs> went back to it. And so now we're going to go back to it. We'll try. Yeah. And again, this, this is a question... Uh, about comparing abstract and representative works in art and music. Okay. So where do we start with that? Uh, that was the same thing we said the first yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, question. well, I'll start off with saying, I mean, I think when we're talking about abstract and representative, you know, they're, they're, they are opposites in some ways, but at the same time, they exist on the same continuum. So most, I feel like most work you're looking at is, is rarely going to be 100% abstract or 100% representative. Um, maybe there's a little bit, I don't know. I, that's, that gets tricky. But anyways, um, where, what is the difference or I, comparing them? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say, I mean, to compare means a lot of different things. For myself, I was someone who, you know, when I first got interested in art, I, I was somebody that was furious about abstract work. What, they're just going to put some shapes up there and call that a finished thing? They're not even going to try to draw a dragon or something? Um, and I would say as, as time has gone by, I've, I've come completely 180 on that, and I, I kind of prefer things more on the abstract side of things then then you know if, if somebody can depict something photographically accurate that is beyond impressive and something i will most likely never be able to do but my, where i think it, things get interesting is when you start to abstract it a little bit to try to capture some essence of whatever you're dealing with in in a way that is is kind of beyond um 
the first layer of visual. Like how can you represent something visually without just making it look exactly like the thing? And that, that's where I think the most interesting things come from in art for the most part. That's what um, I've got so far. Yeah. What would make a Jackson Pollock painting really good is if there were a dragon. Or <laughs> um, Maybe look hard enough. There's there's plenty of dragons there. Yeah. Uh, I, I love this question. Um, and it kind of goes into a discussion that, that you and I had, Ben, with uh, the idea of, of the unschool. So teaching uh, an association of homeschool students called the unschool co-op that is here in Marquette. And in that conversation, the idea of knowledge was brought up and the idea of what right and wrong is based on a knowledge specific course. So when I think about comparing abstract and representative works or just looking at those two titles of art, I feel like that in and of itself is walking us into a, a bit of a trap because what I think is abstract, you might think is representative mm -hmm what you think is abstract, I might think is representative. And I, I think looking at things in different ways is, is important, but with this question in mind and, and thinking about like, thinking about that conversation, dealing with students from the ages of eight to 16, they don't know what representative is. They don't know what abstract is. They just know what they see and they're gonna interpret that the way that they want to until we tell them you need to interpret this as a piece of representative art because it's clearly an apple versus looking at something that is a square and being like, that is an apple or that is, you know, a diamond. It's like, we've been taught that that is incorrect, that that square is not a diamond because it's a square. Well, that's maybe it's time to break those walls down. Um, you know, I think about, I may have, I may have said this in an earlier in an earlier episode, I know that we've talked about this book. There's a book by Stephen Nachmanovich called Free Play, and it mostly has to do with, with music, but it, it really goes well beyond that when you get into sort of the topics that he's talking about. And one of the topics that I found truly profound from the book was this idea of his grandson being very, very young. And he asked his grandson to draw a tree and he drew a tree with incredibly vibrant colors and it looked like it was on fire and it wasn't really in the shape of a tree, but that's what his grandson drew. And he looked at it and he said, this is a tree. Yeah. And he said, that was a profound thing to see the mind do because he's seen so many trees, but he's never seen a tree that was the color of a rainbow. He's never seen a tree that was on fire. He's never seen a tree that looked like it was underwater, you know, image wise, but that's what he drew when I told him to draw a tree. And then he went to school as a kindergartner where they taught him how to draw a lollipop tree, which is that typical brown stem with a green circle on top. There's your tree. And the next time I at the next time uh, Nachmanovich asked his grandson to draw a tree, that's what he drew. And he said it broke his heart because he realized at such a young age that idea of of abstractivism doesn't exist. It's literally just what their mind can create. And I feel like we try to look at abstract art in the way that it's it's this profound thing but i feel like we innately create abstract art how it's been labeled until we're taught you know no you have to color inside the lines no you have to draw a tree a specific way because it's a tree and you see it every day that's a tree 
end of story. And I don't think it is the end of the story. So maybe comparing isn't necessarily the right word. Um, maybe it's re-contextualizing yeah. how those words can be used. Yeah. I know this is, I'm going to sound uh, very much like my wife here, because this, this is something she always uh, brings up about things of this nature when she's just like getting a bit frustrated perhaps, or I just, you know, acknowledging that like, yeah, everything's a social construct and that, you know, uh, however many hundreds of years ago, somebody decided to use this word abstract and, you know, at the, and that, you know, that word in itself has kind of changed meaning over time and, and it'll continue to change meaning um, slightly and, and our understanding of, of, yeah, where those lines are, where the spectrum is or whatever is always going to change. So I don't know, I think it's a, it's a question that everybody can ask themselves. Like you were saying, you know, where, I, what I call abstract might not be what you call abstract. And I think that's, that's interesting to have those kind of conversations. So I still don't think we really have answered it. I think we've added a bit more um, and maybe just made things more confusing. Uh, this question did come from our good friend, Jake Feather. So thank you, Jake. I think we just got to get Jake in on an episode once and get, see what he says, because yeah. he's perplexed us for like three episodes yeah, now. Yeah, it's time for him to answer for his yeah. crimes. Yeah, answer for your crimes of giving us difficult <laughs> questions. This, um, it, I, just, I just thought of a musical term um, that sort of plays off of this idea of like abstractivism. Um, and the, the term in, in music is rubato. Okay. So, Rubato means flowing and free of time, free of tempo. And for the longest time, when I would see in my written music that I was performing, when I would see rubato, that instantly just made me, I was just going to play slow. Because slow is free of time. And then I got really into the Paul Motion trio. Paul Motion was this great drummer. Um, and he wrote these really simple... Uh, Really, these really simple melodies with incredibly complex meanings. So what was on the page was bare bones. This is the material that is there. The rest of it is up to the musicians. And all of his pieces that I really resonated with when I looked at the score that he had written, they all said free tempo, free time, rubato, and then I would listen to the recording and they would be playing rubato at an incredibly fast speed, but not only at a fast speed. And so it was this idea of like flow and this idea of give and take that really started to open up my brain and my ears to be able to like understand in my own playing how nothing is set in stone ever. There's always going to be question marks. There's always going to be these, uh, there's always going to be this give and take, whether it be uh, from a visual standpoint or from a, from a sonic standpoint. Um, but like in the musical side of things, that, that idea of rubato really resonated with me as like an abstract form of representation, but that's it. I just, Oh, that's cool. We got the brain vocab there. in there. I wasn't familiar with that exact term. Yeah. Um, so should we go right? We, we have a second question from Jake. So maybe we can uh, build a connection between that one to this one. And I, I think it's going to be in there. So what you got there? So the second question from Jake is, is all art 
and music narrative in some way? Like, can it all be, can it all be narrative? Oh man, Jake, you're trying to get us to create all of these borders on things or, or I, I'm, and maybe that's just way, your way of uh, getting a, another perspective on where, cause I, I, I can, I think about these things too. And I just never really quite exactly have answers. Um, I would say right off the bat, my, my gut is telling me that all art is going to be at least some degree a narrative, even if it's not them trying to capture a narrative or make a clear narrative, it's still gonna somehow be representative of a sequence of events. You chose this material to do this thing for this amount of time. That's still kind of in a way recording events. So I would say generally speaking, yes. Um, but I'm trying to think that I'm sure there's an artist or a question out there that problematizes it a bit more. What are, what are, what are your thoughts? Oh, man, I thought you were gonna go longer than that. <laughs> Sorry, man. Um, I, I'm sort of in the same boat. I don't believe all art is set out to be narrative. There you go. Um, but the experience of creating art I think is a narrative. So the way that I create art is going to be influenced by what's happening in my life. So if that doesn't mean that I want that to come through in the music, that doesn't mean that I want that to be heard specifically as a narrative, um, a narrative driven sound. But I do believe that things going on in my life will impact how I create what I create from time to time like it will always be changing i just i just feel like for me personally i cannot disconnect from what's happening in my life to create art i feel like it's going to impact it not on purpose i guess this is sort of how i look at it yeah uh, what it, where, where my brain wants to go with it is because I don't really have a, a great clear answer or much more to add than I've already said, but I do think that that question is a really interesting um, kind of point of conversation. And I think it could be interesting as sort of just like a creative exercise. And maybe this is, is something you and I could try at some point or, or to some degree um, to just try to make a work of art that is as unnarrative would that be or non-narrative as possible and and i don't know just kind of having a debate about how something could be more or less narrative than another thing um yeah i don't, I don't know what that would be exactly like how what do you think narrative means that it's it's kind of it's telling you it's not quite a story. I mean, like, yeah, a, you can write a narrative for sure, but it's not, um, that's not the only way to do it. Obviously, you know, images can represent um, a story to some degree or some kind of sequence of events. So, yeah, I don't know. To create a work of art that is, I mean, I guess I could see incorporating like, 
AI to some degree where you could have something automated or randomizing things is, is, is maybe kind of a way of getting uh, or of eliminating elements of narrative to some degree. Like, but then you're even like, I don't know, let's say you're randomly selecting what materials you're working with to kind of take that uh, bit of control over what you're doing. It's still like, I mean, it's not like, you know, if you're randomly choosing, you're still choosing out of a finite number of things. I, I, you can't possibly randomly pick out of everything in the universe what you're going to use to make art. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's still going to be some evidence of choices being made before that, that kind of are going to imply some sort of a narrative. But that's, that's a step, maybe. So randomizing your choices, I think, can, can eliminate the narrative uh, aspect to some degree. I'm not sure what else we can do. Would, the questions like this are so esoteric sometimes. Yeah. Would setting out not to be, would setting out to make art that is not narrative be the narrative? Oh, man, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shoot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess we're creating the narrative. We're creating right the now. narrative of not being narrative. Oh man, like, now we're like what we're if, like getting inside of itself. Yeah, yeah. It's like inception of the, of the <laughs> art. Um double inception. it could be one of those things if you used it as a as a as a project tool working with two people, you would have you would both have a medium that you're working out of, but you would pick the medium for the other person. So instead of you having 10 options of materials to choose from, I would have 10 possibilities. Like I would have 10 materials to choose from for you. Yeah. And so you would just be given a box of okay. things and then I mean, you yeah. have to create something out of it. But then does that become the narrative? Does my does narrative I become your narrative and vice versa? What oh, if man. you create, what if you tried to create, yeah, I guess that's, yeah, maybe that's just the definition of, of narrative. Yeah. Um, like what if you, yeah, what if you tried to create art the way that I would? Hmm. Then that's like almost an element of like, there's an element of like role play and acting in there. Where I'm trying to like, yeah, get inside of your head and think about what you would do and uh, yeah, that still sounds like a narrative. Still sounds like a narrative. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I think, you know, I, I'll say Jake's question is helping us to come with, uh, up with some interesting sort of prompts or project ideas mm -hmm. that could, uh, you know, prompt, you know, more discussion and more questions. And I guess that's what art is often doing is we're not necessarily fully answering any questions. We're just uh, leading to more and perhaps hopefully more interesting questions. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, apparently all art is narrative, Jake, um, in the world. All art is narrative so far. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, yeah. <laughs> but it's not, I still think, I still think all art is narrative, but it's not created to be. Yeah, I think that that was a good point that you made and a good way to think about it is, yeah, you can certainly make efforts to make things less narrative than they could inherently be. And yeah, like we were saying about the abstract and representative, there's, there's certainly a spectrum 
but I don't know that you can ever quite 100% get to like zero on narrative. the on the narrative end. Uh, you know, you get the point zero 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 one maybe. But yeah, that's about it. Oh man, I don't think you could get it to completely abstract either, or completely yeah. representative. There yeah. will always be an aspect. Yeah, of and both. even a photograph is still gonna. There's gonna be you know the, the moment you chose to take the picture, you know whatever settings you chose to have on your the, the camera you chose is mm -hmm. going to have an effect on it. So yeah, take you one. I don't know. Maybe you've got some <laughs> secret project that um, says we're wrong, but we'd love to hear about it. So, yeah, we would. Uh, We'll, we'll have to talk to you at some point. Um, all right, I've got a question here of something I've been thinking about because um, it's something I feel like uh, I it occurs to me often. So I'm about to leave town for a little bit. I'm going home to see family. And oftentimes when I'm leaving home uh, for any duration of time, there's a part of me that is always going to think about, all right, well, how do I bring my practice with me to some degree not that i even have like specific plans like oh i'm going to get to pennsylvania and i'm going to get out my art supplies and i'm going to do this it's I, I i guess what i'm asking is like what do you do to prepare to be able to do something creative away from where you're normally doing something creative does that make sense yeah absolutely so for me as a practicer of the saxophone, I always take my saxophone. Okay, um, no, that's fair. I mean, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like, yeah, what do you bring with you? How do you prepare for it? Yeah, uh, I always take my saxophone, not necessarily because I have a gig or because I have a performance, but just because I never want to be without it. Yeah. That being said, um, I have traveled twice now without my saxophone, one of them being my honeymoon. <laughs> but I did take my mouthpiece uh, so I could do mouthpiece exercises on my honeymoon. And I'm glad I did that. And the second time I went to Ireland also with my partner, Emily, and did not take anything. And I vowed to never do that again. Yeah. That being said, I experienced my time there a little differently, but I still found ways to be connected to my craft for sure. You know, whether it was, you know, it was easy being in Ireland because there's music every night in every club in every bar in every pub, there's somebody playing some form of music. So it was, it was a highly musical trip that did not involve me as a performer. Interesting. Which was very cool to yeah. be a part of, you know, I haven't been a part of that in, decades cool and to sit back and be like huh cool and people be like what do you do i was like i'm not a musician you know like just like <laughs> trying to be a, a ghost in, in those kinds of situations just being uh being a lover of the craft of performing yeah i feel like for me uh in in making visual art uh what is often going through my head is it's almost this sort of like sort of like a Boy Scout approach or a Cub Scout approach of like kind of always being prepared, which whatever, I'm not like a lifelong Cub Scout or anything like that. It's just, I was a Cub Scout and that, that slogan is in my head. Uh, maybe it's also a little bit of like a James Bond thing and like making sure I have like my, my some gear to play around. So it's mostly like, I think what goes through my head is 
preparing for an opportunity where I need to make art. There's not necessarily a specific thing that I'm going to make usually, um, but it's like, what, what stuff am I going to bring with me? You know, which sketchbook, which supplies, you know, I, I can't bring my whole studio with me. And, and even if I could, that would almost defeat the, the purpose to some degree to get away from home. Um, but like, what can I fit in like a little, like, you know, dollar store pencil case to bring on this trip in, in case there's, there's a time where I need to be making art either because some sort of, uh, moment calls for it or oftentimes it's just you know when you're away from home you don't have your same ways of killing time and sometimes you're waiting for the next thing you're in a hotel room or at your airbnb or whatever and you're waiting to go out to dinner with your family or whatever and there's just 15 minutes to kill and you don't have like the same things to kill time that you have at home and it's like if I didn't have a sketchbook or some way of like, just letting my brain play for a little bit, I, yeah, it would mess me up. And, and similar to what you're saying, I don't have a, a specific like one time event where I didn't have that thing, but there's definitely been times where I'm like, should have brought my Sharpie, should have brought a sketchbook, should have whatever. Um, and it, it, it makes me certainly think about that for the next time. So I have, yeah, I have my little, pencil cases supplies over there and it's always like well, what do i what do i cram in there on this trip kind of thing yeah. yeah that's awesome always be prepared for an opportunity to create yeah yeah that's good because it it's a bummer when you there you feel like oh art could help this situation even if it's just for me or if it's for other people it's a bummer if i i see that possibility but i don't have any tools to do something with it now that being said i usually find a way to do something but it's a, it's a bummer if you're like, oh man, if I just had like my, my Sharpie or my X-Acto knife or whatever, I could, uh, I could have done A, B, and C. So make sure I have some of those things. Okay, ready for another one? Yeah, man. All right. On. So re-engaging our views in the world of our environment. Re-engaging our views. Is that last part again? So re the idea of re-engaging our views of our world in our environment. That is a very uh, abstract way of asking a question that I don't think is that question. So I'm going to answer it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I don't know where to <laughs> and go. And you're going to go, oh, this is, got okay, it. Yeah, yeah. now we're on the same page. So I've said in previous episodes, I have a young son who is almost two years old and he is now very, very into uh, everything, literally everything uh, at a very high level. So he's very into looking at flowers. He is very into picking up rocks, very into cars that honk. <laughs> and it's an amazing sort of experience to, to step back and watch his brain take hold of these things. And it has made me look at the world through a child's eyes again, which is something that obviously I haven't done since I was a child. And it gets into this idea of like, you know, learned traits, I guess. And he hasn't learned the traits of being um, someone who just walks through life and doesn't really respond to anything in their 
surroundings because they're just task oriented. Like I have to get here by this time. So I'm just going to get there by that time and like forget the fact that there are these incredibly beautiful flowers all along my walk. And with him, that doesn't happen. And so it's been, it's been good to slow down with him in my, in the environment and be like, and see things from a different perspective, see things that I've never seen before, even though I've lived in this town for six years. And it's made me think a little bit more about the slowness of creating, like mm. just the speed at which we create certain, certain aspects of creating, I guess. And so I'm just curious if you've ever like caught yourself just not experiencing the world. Oh yeah. And how, like if, if you have techniques to bring yourself back into your own shoes, like to bring yourself back into your environment. I think I'm, I'm developing techniques more um, over time. And I think, it, you know, I've been thinking about things related to this more recently. Um, you know, we, with Shape and Sound, we put together this sort of activity book for people in, visiting Marquette, living in Marquette as kind of a way to get them to kind of experience the town in a little bit more of a creative way. So there's lots of little activities in there, like, you know, um, a checklist to go see public art in the area. There's these sort of photography prompts. There's kind of, you know, questions about like how to, to think about your neighborhood in, in, in different ways. So since thinking about that, I've been thinking about this sort of thing a bit more. And, um, and I think there, there are some techniques that help. Um, and some of them are, you know, directly like photography related, but you can even, you know, you don't necessarily need, you don't need a camera necessarily to practice photography. And I know that sounds like insane, but if you're just kind of thinking about like, how something could fit into a frame and just kind of um, paying attention to the world around you in a little bit more of a specific way. So yeah, I've certainly had those times, like uh, I'm sure a lot of us have where you're, you know, it's usually like a commute sort of thing where you're driving to work and all of a sudden you're like pulling into the parking lot and you don't remember the last like 10 minutes. And that's like, that's kind of a horrible feeling. Um, you know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm glad I didn't crash. I guess I, I hope I was paying attention driving. <laughs> uh, but it's it's really weird to feel like you you lost time in that way. So I, I don't know, there's just kind of maybe different sort of questions you can try to ask yourself, at, you know, especially when, when you're doing those things, when you're traveling down those roads or walking down those paths that you do on a very regular basis. It is very easy to kind of check out and just be in your head or, I don't know, paying attention to the podcast in your headphones or whatever it is. Um, and that's fine too. Maybe you, maybe you do need a little bit of checking out, but it, it's nice to try to find those other perspectives on your town. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's it could be trying to pay attention to different visual things. It be it could be trying to make connections with visual things, um, but you know maybe with a lens of like, you know, where what, like one of the one of the challenges or one of the activities I thought about kind of putting in that book that I, I ended up not putting because I couldn't quite put it to the right language is similar to that idea of of like following where it seems quietest is trying to create a path from one place to another where where you're where you're walking, you know, 
from A to B to C, there's maybe some idea that's connecting how you're walking. Like, um, let me try to think of an example, like walk from one red thing to the next thing. That could be a really simple thing. And that might change your path a little bit. That might get your you thinking about different things. It could be walk from one piece of, um, uh, from one man-made thing to another. So, or one natural thing to another. And that could really, I don't know, rather than just going from point A to point B, trying to think about those other things. All right, are they, you know, what am I seeing that matches that? Or you could get a little bit more even poetic about it. Like, what am I seeing along my path that seems friendly? And I go, I, I'm only walking to friendly things. So, mm -hmm. I, and that could, I, you know, could be different on any day of the week. Um, some things might seem more or less friendly. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't have an active practice for for doing that, but I, I'm, I've been starting to think about those questions a little bit more recently. Yeah, that's a that's a cool question. I like that. Yeah. All right, I've got I've got another question here. Let's do it. Um, and I don't want this to, it's, you know, I know there's maybe a part of this that sounds like I'm I'm setting myself up to vent about something, but I I don't want it to be that. Um, What's a, what's a stereotype about what you do that you would like to eliminate? Oh man. <laughs> and I know that might, you know, maybe that should have been the whole podcast, but let's, let's try to, let's, let's think about one and how we can maybe proactively do something about it. Sure. My biggest, <laughs> oh, I'm not going to bet. I might then a little. So my biggest pet peeve about being an artist, being an improvising musician, being a teacher of music, being a teacher of improvised music, being a teacher of classical music, is the idea that my job as a teacher and as a performer has less worth because what I do is quote unquote fun. So I shouldn't take things like I should be able to do more with my life because my job is fun. Yeah. And people who say that it's maybe one of the more disrespectful things you can say to an artist of any medium is that what they do is fun because the only thing you are seeing of their work is the finished product. Yeah. And that is, that is the fun part. Yeah. That is not including the hundred hours of, of second guessing, of labor intensive thought, of sleepless nights, of like wolfing down food as fast as you can, just because you have to get back to your project because there's yeah. a deadline, because it's like, we have to get everything done by this, but like you're running into roadblocks. You don't think it's worth it. Your art isn't worth it. You should probably give up and work at a Rite Aid. All of that, it goes out the window as soon as someone sees the finished product of whatever you created. And they say, wow, you must have such a great life because what you do is so much fun. Yeah. That stereotype is, is one, of the, one of the more detrimental things to, I think, art moving forward in our, in our world because there are less and less people creating and there are more and more people having fun. Yeah. Yes. Oh man. I think, yeah, I think you pretty much, you nailed it there, man. I think that boils it down to like really what's, 
can be frustrating about um, you know all realms of of working in any sort of creative art. You know, my my thought, I mean, you know, went to a very similar place, um, and and perhaps it comes more. I'm thinking of like actual specific things I've heard people say to me. Um, like when I was an elementary art school teacher, like, oh, you just like make art with kids all day. I bet they love that. I bet you love that. And it's like, I, I mean, absolutely there are moments of it. Like when I am in a moment where that really feels like, oh, everybody in the room is creating something. This is like, that is a special moment. And like, that's absolutely like why I do what I do. Cause that's like, oh man, I feel very lucky to be in this moment. But like you're saying, that's not acknowledging the hours of prep, getting materials ready, trying to wash the hands of 32 first graders <laughs> that were just painting um, and trying to get them to their next class without the next teacher wanting to murder you. Um, you know, washing the brushes after, you know, go on and on and on. There's, there's a lot of work that, that allows that magical moment to happen. So it's like, you're right. I did that. I do love my job, <laughs> but if it was, if it was that all the time, everybody would want to do it and not everybody wants, to, you don't want to do it. You know, yeah. this, this person I'm kind of remembering saying something like that to me. Uh, so yeah, I guess we're kind of, kind of in the same, same note there. Yeah. Just a PSA to everyone listening. When you see art and you see music, just thank the person creating it. Just, just thank them. Just say, thank you for doing what you do. I appreciate it. That's it. Yeah. You know, we, we, we love that you might also be a, a, a creator and an, and an artist. Um, but we really don't care. <laughs> uh, you know, we do, we do, but it's, it's, we want there to be connections like me. I'll, I'll just speak me personally. Um, I want there to be a connection in what I do to your life. And I want there to be a connection and I want people to feel something when they listen to my music and they see me perform live, but know that that's not the end of the story. And that's certainly not the beginning of the story. And that's really important. And I think you can help people through very, very hard times in their life if you thank them and don't try to make it easy for them. Like make what they do seem easy to you because it's really not. There's a lot of, there's a lot of practice that goes on behind the scenes that make it really hard to do creative things every day, um, to be a creative musician, to be a creative artist. And sometimes we just need a little thanks. And sometimes it's only from one person. So if that's you, thank you. If it's not you, try a little harder. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, what people need to just kind of like remind themselves in a way, because it's strange that people will like, there's these two big stereotypes actually that I think are kind of crossing over where like there, there are people that like will do that, but then it also seems like everybody else is also very self-deprecating about their own artistic abilities. Like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. 
But then like at the same time, they'll turn around and be like, oh, your job must be so fun and easy. It's like, no, it's not like, so if you can imagine like, like, so for me, I'll take, I'll, I'll even take visual arts out of the picture and I'll try to imagine myself trying to play music, saxophone, whatever. And I know it would be garbage. I know like, I mean, it could be fun in a way. It, could, it might be a fun activity, but yeah. like, it's not going to be listenable. And I, I, you have to think about like, so what would it take for you to get from that point for, for me to get from sounding like nothing or whatever to sounding like pleasant? That's a lot of work. That's a, it, that's an epic amount of work. So just keep and And not just work, it's like, you know, making something and knowing it's not great yet or not as good as it could be. I don't, I don't know, like that's that's a tough way to do work. It's not just, I don't know, I, I'm going on and on here, but yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, that's a, <laughs> want to get, want to get an artist's blood boiling, say it was good, <laughs> you know, or like point out the imperfection. Oh yeah. You know, point out, like, I don't understand, like, you know, oh, you played the wrong note there. I know, yeah. But I played twenty seven thousand notes over the last forty five minutes. Yeah, and I missed one. Yeah. So sue me. I'll see where you know another thing that um, is maybe related to this that that goes a little bit can go a little bit either way, and it's just maybe a a thing to be careful about is when you experience somebody else's art. And maybe it reminds you of something else, another artist, another musician, et cetera. That might be something that the person wants to hear. Oh, your work reminds me of blank. But I don't, it's not always going to be. Yeah. Um, you, you, I feel like if you're going into that conversation, it should be with somebody you, you know pretty well. Um, or you know, be careful about the, you know, be, be, try to be really specific. Like if you're just generally saying like, so I'll even say, I'll, I'll put an example out there. And it's, this is one that I don't hate, but I, I could see, you know, if I, if I let myself, it could bother me more. So I, I draw a lot of these abstract mazes and I've been told by a number of people that the kind of patterns that I'm making remind them very much of some abstract work by Keith Haring. Something about our line quality is similar. The kind of shapes that we're playing with are similar. And I don't hate that. I like Keith Haring. He's, he's from the town where I went to college. So maybe there's something in the water there that's controlling the way we draw lines. I don't really know. So yeah, that, do, it, that doesn't bother me when people say that, but it's also like, but I'm also very, very different from Keith Haring. You know, it, for you might think like he's this artist on this high, high level, especially of success, somebody that has this legacy far beyond his unfortunate demise. So there was part of me that's like, oh, that, that's nice. But it's also like, yeah, no, I'm very different from Keith Haring. So cool, but eh, yeah. not as cool as maybe you're thinking it is. Yeah. 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 I, that's something that I've, I've, I'm fortunate to be able to play a lot of different styles of music with a lot of different musicians that I care very deeply for. 
that I never thought I would ever go into. Like I, I never thought I would be able to improvise with folk artists mm -hmm. and folk singers and, and singer songwriters. I never thought I would be able to do that because I never thought I wanted to until I met um, in particular, Chris Bathgate, who is just one of my favorite people in the world and favorite musicians in the world. Um, but he let me be me. And that's what I was always so afraid of working with musicians who might not get the role of an improvising musician in their ensemble. And Chris has never said, I want you to play like this. You know, he, he trusts me. Yeah. And that trust is really important. And I think that gets into this idea of like, Oh, your work reminds me of this. Oh, you sound like this. I, the only musicians that I work with, um, you know, I could work more. I'll say that I could work more as a musician to the detriment of my craft because the, when I work and the musicians I work with never ask me to play any way other than myself. And that's really important um, for me and my voice. And I have walked off stages and I have walked out of rehearsals when someone tells me, to play like so-and-so because I am not that person. Yeah. So I am not going to play like that person. I understand that you, you know, and usually it's somebody who I, I listen to a lot of and they're a hero of mine. Yeah. So I would love to play like John Coltrane. <laughs> I would love to do that. If I were a visual artist, I would love to be able to paint like Vincent Van Gogh. I can't, and I won't, you know? It just isn't, it's, it's not an okay thing to do. If you want John Coltrane to play your music, grab a shovel and dig him up, but it's not gonna be for me. It's like what I can glean, what I have gleaned from John Coltrane is in my playing. Yeah. That's as much as you're gonna get. Yeah. It's already you know, in there. It's already, it's already in, in there. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, and and again, it's not to you know, again to be compared to someone like yeah Keith Haring or whatever. It's that does it is, in a lot of ways a compliment, but it's like it's not like I'm sitting at home looking at Keith Haring. That's not what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm not. It's just yeah. It's just just something natural about the way that we work and the way that we think that there's some you know, and again getting into like uh if somebody is really specific like if they were to there's a difference just being like oh your work reminds me of keith herring that's that's a little more problematic than being like hey the line quality of what you're doing reminds me a bit of keith herring that's that sounds a lot better to me yeah it's it's getting a little bit more it's like yeah you're not i'm not saying you're copying keith herring i'm saying this thing it's really one part of it. I'm looking at the whole thing, but I'm talking about this thing. Yeah. It's also interesting too, like maybe another question that we should start asking artists when we talk with them about certain things, like when you, instead of me telling you, Ben, your work reminds me of Keith Haring, maybe start the conversation with a question that goes something like this. Are you familiar with the artist Keith Haring? Yeah. And then you would answer, I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm very 
uh, aware of Keith Haring. And then I could, you know, for logic's sake, ask, do you feel like you're inspired by Keith Haring? And then you can say yes or no. Yeah. And if you say no, then I don't put my foot in my mouth and be like, there you go. You know, I, I have, I have long curly hair and I play the saxophone. So clearly I love Kenny G. <laughs> they, I can't, like I got done playing a set of modern improvised music and somebody came up to me at the end of it and asked me if I would be a strolling minstrel Christmas carol saxophonist at their party because I looked like Kenny G. Oh my gosh, and I'm sorry. I'm not so politely told them no. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that's just, it's like read the room, read the artist. Like we're trying really hard to do what we have in our heart. This has nothing to do with being unique and nothing to do with being. Um, I guess this has nothing to do with us trying to be unique, to be unique. Artists have a vision in mind and they are trying to put that vision into practice, yeah. whether that's through music, whether that's through art, whether that's through photography, whatever it's through, they have a vision that they are trying to put out to the general public. That does not mean that you're going to get that vision, but it also does not mean that you have to not get it or that you have to comment on it. Just experience the creative approach, experience the art. And, and if you have a comment, cool. If you don't, cool. All right, I think we're, uh, we're closing in towards the end of our show here. Um, just some other things that I want to bring up before we call it a show. Uh, Patrick and I are doing a summer camp in August for students eight to 14. Uh, we will be operating that camp outside of the Campfire Coworks building. That's actually where we're at right now recording this podcast. So if you or someone you know might have uh, a kid that is interested in any sort of creative arts, we don't want to limit it to one sort of things. We are tackling a lot of things and asking a lot of big, weird questions. Um, maybe if you're, you know, a kid that doesn't have an artistic side, that could be interesting as well. Maybe we can help them find something or at least help them find a different way of experiencing the world around them through, uh, a, a deeper understanding with creative arts. So if you want to learn more about that, you can go to shapingsoundarts.com right up at the top. There's a place you can click on summer camp to learn a bit more. Um, you can also go to that site to find out any number of other things about what we are up to. Anything to add there, Patrick? Thank you all for listening and sticking with us. And, you know, hopefully this was a, this was a pretty heavy podcast. So hopefully uh, you stuck with us to the end <laughs> and uh, we either asked some questions that you wanted to hear, answered some questions that you didn't know you had, or made you think about questions you want us to answer next time. Perfect. And if you have those questions, again, shapingsoundarts.com or email us at shapingsoundarts at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode.